class. Please be quiet. Shh. Shh. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? Stay out of trouble. Welcome to the RPG Academy Network presents Film Studies. Hello and welcome to Film Studies from the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and today we are going to be discussing the 1999 released movie The 13th Warrior, which was written for the screen by William Wisher and Warren Lewis and is based on the novel by Michael Crichton. It was also directed by John McTiernan, who also directed, among other things, Die Hard. The 13th Warrior's most notable stars Antonio Banderas as Ahmed Ibn Fardan. I'm sure I just screwed that up. My apologies. I am from Kentucky. Who is our titular 13th Warrior? So let's take a moment, take attendance, and see who is joining us today. Khaldun, would you like to say hi and tell everybody who you are? Uh, hi, yes. I'm, uh, I'm Khaldun Khalil. I uh, you know, write for role-playing games, uh, Dungeons & Dragons, Vampire the Masquerade, uh, a few others, Call of Cthulhu, Haunted West, and of course the upcoming, uh, well, now-released Dune RPG, um, just in time for the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I work at the uh, Middle East Institute as the Energy and Security Scholar, and I, I love movies, so here we are. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining. I'm super happy to have you with us. Uh, and quick side note, we are actually doing an early review of Dune. Uh, one of our uh, people have it right now reading it, so we'll have a review up on the site soon. Uh, and then also joining us today is Grant. Grant, say hello and tell everybody who you Help everyone who you are. Hello, everybody. I'm Grant Campbell. I'm the DM's Guild correspondent for the RPG Academy. Uh, and I basically review things from the DM's Guild uh, and give my recommendations to everybody who's interested. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us today. I really appreciate having both of you on to talk about this movie that I don't think I've watched again since the first time I watched it in theaters in 1999. As for myself, of course, I am Michael at the RPG Academy. For much everything I do can be found there. I'm also an aspiring game designer who I think is kind of getting close to maybe releasing my first game. We shall see. Uh, and I also host another podcast about the Smallville TV show. So if you like media and how they interact with role-playing games, then that show might, uh, podcast might be a bit of an interest for you as well. Uh, as far as content warnings, there's definitely some violence and gore in this movie. Uh, I'm also noting racial and cultural representations because I myself don't know, but I imagine that Antonio Banderas probably isn't the actual culture that he's trying to represent in this movie, and I don't know how well that would hold up under today's eyes, so I'm just putting in there just in case. And as far as us, we are concerned, I think this will probably be a family-friendly podcast, but if we end up getting to that type of territory, which is totally fine, I'll just put an extra warning at the beginning. So as far as us, language is okay, but you know, I don't necessarily want to just lean into it as we get started. Uh, So with that out of the way, we're going to start with our sort of mini review. So these are overall thoughts, one or two shortish um, sentences, a paragraph about our review of the movie. Uh, Khaldun, I'm going to start with you. So what is your review and star rating for The 13th Warrior? Well, yeah, no, I I, I mean, I've always liked this movie, actually. It's uh, it's an old fave of mine when it first came out. Uh, So I'd say, uh, yeah, it's a four out of five for me. I say it has, you know, a really unique take on a, you know, Arab character, almost never portrayed as protagonist in Western films. And then it does something, you know, really interesting, puts them in a fish out of water position in a refreshing take of, you know, Viking culture at that time period. And now we're kind of spoiled with the 
shows like Vikings and other shows like that that really try to represent Viking culture in an interesting, fresh way. Back then, that just wasn't the case. There were just, you know, right. screaming barbarians, basically. So, you know, I think they, did, they really uh, did something interesting there with two cultures not usually very well represented at the time. Grant, if you don't mind, sir, you're a short review and rating for the movie. Three out of five stars, and it's a bard fighter multi-class that actually works. Mm. Nice. Uh, and as for myself, so your cousin from out of town wants to join your D&D game. The DMD, the DM says yes, not realizing that they're going to roll up a bard for the final session of a years-long Viking campaign. Despite reservations, they allow it. And it's amazing! Four stars. So, now with that out of the way, let's do a quick overview of what actually happens in the movie. Uh, we begin with our hero, Ahmed, on a ship crossing a storm sea when he begins to recount his journey from being a poet and uh, falling in love with a woman who belonged to another and how that sent him into the lands of the barbarians. A chance encounter with some Northmen on longships during the transfer of power to a new king and a call for aid ensorcelled Ahmed in their quest to aid a village under attack by an enemy too terrible to be named. On the journey, Ahmed picks up their language and finds ways to impress them with his skills as and joining them on their quest. Back to the present on the ship, they complete their treacherous journey to find a village in need of heroes. The heroes draw in an attack from a force that seems supernatural and pretty much get rocked. We have a protecting the village montage. A fireworm attacks the village, which turns out to be a barbarian clan of horsemen carrying torches. They do damage, but are thrown off. The heroes uh, left... The heroes left decide to go after them after being told the only way to win is to kill their queen. They track them back to their cave lair and penetrate into its depths, but don't behead the dragon. For some reason, I've stopped writing before we were done, uh, which leads to a final climatic battle with the barbarians coming back to the village for one last raid where our heroes are ultimately victorious. All right, so with that out of the way, we're kind of just sort of like open discussion at this point. Um, Khaldun, I'll start with you again. So what were things about this movie that you particularly liked? Anything that stuck out to you as interesting or funny? Um, and then maybe also any sort of RPG thoughts kind of related in. Again, this is sort of open, big picture, talk as much as you want about whatever you want. Oh, boy, don't tell me to talk as much as I want. That's a dangerous, that's dangerous, that's dangerous equation. Uh, but I guess you can just edit, you can edit out the stuff you don't like. Well, basically... Um, I think it, it takes some, like, really classic tropes, you know, uh, like Seven Samurai or, you know, even, like, Western tropes of, like, you know, the small band of heroes protecting the defenseless town and, uh, you know, really puts it in a, in a setting that, you know, you really haven't seen it before, you know, with Vikings and such. And then, of course, with, uh, you know, the Arabic warriors, the fish-out-of-water, you know, uh, point of view of the whole situation which, you know, makes it, you know, very fresh. So even though they're, you know, retelling Beowulf and framing it in like a Seventh Samurai situation, uh, they still manage to take, you know, the oldest, one of the oldest stories and some of the like most overused cinema tropes and make something very fresh. Um, which, you know, is the goal of any DM, I'd hope, uh, at a table is to take a concept, you know, whether it's the dragon attacks the town or whatever and makes it something fresh. I, I particularly like the uh, the the way that they framed it being a dragon. Yeah, 
the fire worm and what that actually turns out to be, I thought was a pretty interesting, you know, for that time period and, and the way people might be able to try to express things and maybe even like the telephone type of game that going from person to person, you know, things get twisted. I actually rewatching it was very pleasantly impressed and surprised about that. Yeah, no, I thought it was, uh, you know, really interesting. Um, they even, you know, work in some of the, the politics. Like, one thing I, I also liked was um, they tried to show the depth of not just, you know, the... They tried to show the depth within each, you know, uh, I don't know, if we, of the situation. So it wasn't, you know... So, like, the politics in the little town actually, like, mattered a bit. And the Vikings had to kind of show the way, uh, you know, politics worked, you know, amongst them. Uh, like obviously, uh, the even you know the Pragmatist comes in with the same POV we do, which is the you know these are Vikings, they're you know not subtle, you know deception politics isn't their thing, and you know uh, you know what's on the surface is all there is. Uh, but even in the movie, they they show you that you know there's a lot going on beneath the surface, um, that there is you know some power dynamics that they have to ne- negotiate, uh, you know even though they're the heroes and such that you know. Who's going to be in charge after the situation is resolved? You know that matters, and um, they have to kind of uh, play around that. I don't want to give away too much because I thought it was an interesting uh, scene. But yeah, uh, Grant, anything you want to kind of start with opening volley on your thoughts on the movie? So I I like this movie, even though I only gave it three stars. Don't 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 villainize me for that. <laughs> but I do have some issues with the movie, uh, mainly that, and I know it's the the title is the 13th warrior, but there are too many characters. All of them are pretty likable, which is good, but you, it's like, uh, it's like if you have six or seven people in a D and D group, some, all the people kind of get lost in the, even Antonio Banderas's character kind of gets lost. It's like, is he the main character or is, and I can't even remember his name, uh, the, the lead Viking. P- poor man's Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, it's all poor man's Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> is he the main character? And it seems like his arc is almost more important than, than Ahmed's arc. Uh, but I still like it. And as with regards to the fireworm, uh, yeah, with the mist coming in and atmospheric things happening, it's it's very cool to to obfuscate uh, what that actually is. Um, from a DMing perspective, you can hide things like that behind rolls and things, and it's kind of a cool reveal um, when you go out there and be like, "Oh no, no, no! It's it's just a bunch of it's just a bunch of guys with torches." <laughs> yes. <laughs> A whole lot of people with torches. It's a whole. I mean, it's probably like 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 the joyous says. It's uh, he'd rather face a dragon. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I do like it. Like I said, from from it is very much a DM or a, a, a Dungeons and Dragons like adventure. Yeah. There's but, even a there's even a dungeon dive. There, <laughs> there's protecting a town. There's NPC drama. <laughs> But uh, I, I like it a lot. Uh, it does have its issues. Like I said, there are probably too many characters. Though we kill like half of them in that first battle. Exactly. There, it goes down to five pretty flippin' quick. <laughs> but... Yeah. 
which is good, and it, and that focuses things a little bit. But uh, yeah, and just and like in a in a D and D game, the ones that survive are you know the cousins and the brothers of the ones who died. So you know, mm-hmm. that's right. That's right. Yeah, and it's a good fish out of water story. You can go ahead. I would say I, I was liked it a lot more than I expected. I, I did watch this movie when it first came out in '99, and my opinion of it back then was like it was it was okay to bad. Like I didn't have a very positive <laughs> thought on it. And I think watching it again, definitely, I'm I'm more in my mindset of like role playing games now. And I absolutely was looking at this through the lens of this is basically indeed in campaign. That's the paladin. That's the ranger. That's the bard. These others are oh, just the sure. fighters. Um, and that really just sort of it sort of like smoothed out some of the rough edges sort of the same way that I like watch the fast and furious movies. Like I think they're terrible, but if you look at them, that this is basically a D 20 modern D and D campaign, they're doing all the stuff that you would do in a D and D campaign, like wrecking a car in a certain way that allows you to swing across the vine, like, like Tarzan, like that is so dumb, <laughs> but it's absolutely something I would try to do in a D and D campaign. So I kind of have a different appreciation for it, but there are a couple things that, that did kind of bother me uh, just from the movie standpoint is I completely lost my, my train of thought there for a second. So one of the things, this is just one of the big things that absolutely just drove me nuts. They had a hard time finding the barbarians. Which when after the battle, they realized what, what was going on. And they decided to track them back. And it was like this big deal to try to figure out where they were because it, we turned out they they were like cave dwellers. And I think it was our main character um, who sort of like, there's a couple of times where he sort of like puts together the clues, you know, and like he rolls a high intelligence check and his DM gives him a clue. And he's like, oh yeah, they're, they think they're bears. They live in caves. They had like 10,000 horses. Right. Those horses were not in the cave. Just look for the horses and they're adjacent to them. It should not have been hard to find them. And then in the, in the opening scene, they are like supernatural creatures. Like you think they're like werewolves. Like there's one, there's like a gory scene of like a decapitation where uh, someone gets their head just lifted off their pulled body off. by beer. It's pulled off. Yeah. yeah, It's pulled off. And then later it's like, no, they're just people. Like they never sort of dealt with the fact that they presented them. And I think this is sort of like DM Fiat where it's like you, you set them up in a way to make them super intimidating and scary. But when you actually go to fight them, you're just rolling against the stats for a, you know, a barbarian. So they can't do all these things that they could do in the cinematic. It's leveling up mechanics. But they went the other way. You see it they, with Ahmed, it's, it's leveling up. Oh, okay. So we got rid of all the weak NPCs that could be beheaded by brute strength. Now we all have, okay, that, that definitely makes sense. So again, we're, we're leaning into that. Uh, and it's just a quick aside. This is actually the movie where I kind of turned against Robert Roger Ebert as a movie reviewer. Cause I remember listening to his review of this movie. I think this was back when Siskel and Ebert was a thing and they would like do the TV show. And he had said that he was so frustrated by how they had the main character learn the Viking language over the course of one night. And it wasn't. This was clearly a montage to show that this was happening, you know, over weeks, if not months of travel. And I'm like, how did you miss that? So are you writing reviews for movies that you didn't watch closely? Uh, So actually, I had a short-lived movie review podcast called We Saw It Twice. And we would only review a movie if we'd already seen it more than once so that we would never have those types of issues. That that was the birth of that <laughs> podcast. It's defunct now. It only had like six episodes. Um, but yeah, p- pay attention, people. If you're going to review a movie, pay attention to it. Um, so I'm going to circle back. I'm actually going to start with Grant this time. So when we think about this, like obviously there's D&D in my mind. And it could be Pathfinder or any fantasy role-playing game. Uh, D&D is just sort of the touchstone. But 
is there anything from this movie that you would pull out as like maybe something you could do in a campaign, maybe something you have done that you want to talk a little bit about? And then also, again, okay. any specific uh, games that you think would, would tell a story like this well? So I am running a Viking-themed D&D 5e game right now. In fact, I just got done running a session of it. And boy, I didn't realize that this movie inspired a lot of what I do already. <laughs> I saw this movie several times growing up. Uh, I am I am born in 87, so 99 is where this movie... It came out at the right time for me, I think. <laughs> And I, I base defense. Uh, my players right now are building a whole community, which I'm so happy for because I get to throw horrible things at their community, and that means they care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're forced to care about the community, and these guys are forced to care, even though it is kind of tenuous why they are here in the first place. Maybe. Um, but they care about the community. They want to save the community. And they will do whatever it takes to protect that community. And that, as a DM, is a gift. <laughs> it is a gift. Because you can do pretty much anything, and it is a threat. And they will have to go out of their way. It's no, my character wouldn't do that, or what have you. It's, no, they're, they're invested. They, they, want, they want to save the the community. They're not saving the world. They're saving a community. And that those stakes, I think, really contribute to a nice, cohesive game. Yeah, I think uh, in, in like role-playing game terms, if you have a bunch of players who aren't really connected to the world of their characters, that can be fun if you're trying to do like a funny game, almost like a meta commentary where you joke about, oh, this is the quest giver, and oh, this is the fetch quest sort of situation. But if you want to have... A, quote unquote serious game you have to have investment from your players they have to care about the world they have to care about the people they have to care about their characters and yeah this movie makes the characters of the movie do that where they become invested in these villagers these people they need to be protected they're going to put their lives on the line like it's very classic tropey fantasy you know adventure stuff you're the heroes you're going to do what heroes do and that's protect innocent people from a force they cannot protect themselves against even if it causes you your uh, your death which it obviously does early on but then you're still going to see it through at that point because again that's very classic where i'm starting i'm going to start fighting the bad guys because i'm going to protect you but now i have been personally wounded either literally or you killed my brethren you killed this you know friend of mine this a compatriot so now i want vengeance against you you're, it's not just protecting the innocents i have now a stake against you as well like there's a whole lot of like dming 101 type stuff i think you could take from oh this yeah movie. Uh, Cal Dune, anything from you? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's a lot of RPG elements that yeah make their make their way into yeah just about any game. Like I think one thing that um, you know a, a lot of the characters show, and they try not to make this a, a strictly cultural thing. It's definitely a, a personal character thing as well. Is um, they're deeply they're deeply invested in um, you know the story. You know, the protagonist is a, is a writer uh, and a poet, and part of his value to the whole group is that he can tell the story. Uh, and, you know, everyone around him seems to, you know, want to do epic things. And the main character, well, not the main character, but who basically becomes, you know, what the story is about, Bulvi, uh, the Beowulf character, you know, is, is deeply interested in the story, you know, how the story is going to be told uh, later. 
Um, and his great success, even though, you know, he dies, uh, he ends up being the hero. And, and the fact that his story will be told um, is very important. I think that concept, you know, how what we're doing now uh, is going to be told later, uh, you know, that's a very interesting concept that can be brought in to uh, a game as far as uh, if you're going to use bards and that kind of thing and uh, reputation for the players, like when, when the players roll in the town, what they've done in the past uh, affects how they're going to be treated now and what type of thing is going to happen to them. Um, and that also plays into, you know, basically this kind of honor code that the different characters show. Like they don't, sh they definitely show that, you know, honor isn't, um, that's more important to some characters than others. There's definitely some, you know, deceitful, dishonorable NPCs. Um, and the characters aren't doofuses. Um, they definitely understand. They don't, they're not, you're not, they're not blindly honorable. They're not wedded to these honor codes because they're just, you know, that's the way I was raised. Like some of them see the weakness of those honor codes, but still, um, know that's the way that they wish to proceed um, because of the value it brings them, um, you know, to the community and to the future and to their story. Um, but as I said before, uh, you know, with the kind of interpersonal politics where they basically have to kind of almost like play this game and have this duel um, because they know that um, they're being plotted against, you know, internally and that to basically keep control of the situation and to really protect the town and fight against these invaders and keep everybody united, they basically have to kind of um, show up the people plotting against them internally so that they can, you know, continue forward with the plan. Uh, and that's definitely something that I use, you know, in vampire games. You know, that kind of, you know, you have to, you have to not only confront the external enemy, you have to confront the internal enemy. And unlike the external enemy, which you can just, you know, hit with an axe. Like the internal enemy, there's certain procedures you have to follow to confront them and neutralize them because hitting them with an axe, well, in this case, actually, but hitting them with an axe <laughs> in most situations just gonna, is not going to work out. Like, you know, D&D, &D, vampire, whatever, there's like formalized ways you can deal with internal conflict that you have to use, um, whether it's a debate or a trial or a duel uh, that you can't use against the external enemy, but you have to do both fights to achieve your goal. So, yeah, I, I thought that was definitely good for an RPG game. There's definitely, there's, that was kind of like an interesting, almost like subplot that was going through the movie. That was it's totally unnecessary, but it did add a little bit of depth and flavor to it that I thought was, was welcome. Does anyone know, was Michael Crichton a known D&D &D or role player? Because, like, I can't imagine this wasn't, based off of a game that they played. I mean, it was like George R. R. Martin famously Game of Thrones was based off of a, a campaign they played in. Does anybody know? I don't. I don't, I don't think so. Um, like, I know this book that it's based off of, Eaters is a Dead, and I think you can see elements of the book in the movie that they just didn't highlight in the movie. Like, in my understanding, in the book, the barbarians, the, you know, kind of, you know, unknown enemy bear people are supposed mm -hmm. to be Neanderthals in the book. Oh, okay. Uh, and that's why they're like super strong and tough and live in caves and stuff and seem like, you know, a lot more primitive than this like pretty advanced Viking culture they're living right next to. Uh, right. So that's that's not really in the movie. 
you know, they're not presented that way. Um, and I, I'm kind of thankful they are because that would have probably dated the movie given what we know about, you know, uh, how Neanderthals uh, and, you know, Homo sapiens actually interacted when they were, you know, living together. So uh, I, I, th- I don't think so. I think Crichton is like one of those authors who kind of like sees like a science, a popular science headline and writes a whole book about it. Mm, like, yeah. oh, they found a mosquito in amber. Whoa, shoot, let's clone a dinosaur. Right. <laughs> Which again, great. So I had a kind of a, a weird reading of this movie and I don't think it fully holds together. I don't think it's a metaphor that works perfectly, but I, I kept coming back to it as I was watching the movie. So bear with me a little bit. This almost feels to me like a changing of the guard. I feel like there was a, a player who maybe was having to move away and they weren't going to be able to play their character anymore. This would be the, the paladin Viking hero person. So they went into this game knowing that would be their last game. So whether they moved away, you know, maybe they got married, whatever the case may be, they were going to have to leave the group. And then we have this new player that's coming in who's sort of like the new, younger, indie, hip, storytelling type of player. Like, they don't really go for this hardcore tactical stuff, but they're going to play in this game together, and they sort of have this mutual respect that is built where the grognard, for lack of a better term, comes (laughs) to see the value in having someone who's just really into the role-play aspect and can fight a little bit, but that's not their their main thing. And the younger, bardish sort of player is like, well, I, I see sort of the types of stories that you want to tell the way you tell this game where it's truly heroic people, you know, you have limited resources, you might die, it's dangerous, it's, it's, if you live, there's a value in that and there's an honor in it. And it's sort of this perfect sort of marriage and union where they've come together and the game's going to be completely different after this. But for that one shining moment, the two sides sort of came together. They, they saw each other in a way that maybe they hadn't before the game. I just feel like the world was a little bit of a better place after this movie slash game was over. Does that make any sense? Am I totally... No, I, I like that a lot. No, I, I get like it. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, I like that too. I like that a lot, to be honest. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, you feel that, you know, like when, when Bolv, like, because, because um, when Bolvi learns that uh, the main, that the, and Banderas' character is like a poet and an author and a writer, like a real, like, storyteller who writes with words, and like, yeah. the yeah. first thing he does when they land off the boat is shows him that, you know, he he learned how to how to you know write a sentence in Arabic. The first mm-hmm. thing he does is like write that sentence in Arabic to like show, and that kind of like shows him like you know. So I think that feeds into your thing. It's like you know this isn't my thing particularly, but like I see the value in it. I respect it. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I so I, so I see that connection like yeah right away and and right and it's like you know I'm not going to be here, but you're going to tell my story. So right, yeah, you know, my character will continue to live through all the future exploits right. of, of this group, of this game type of a thing. Another great value of this movie to a player, I feel, and maybe to DMs too, no matter what you're playing, almost all the characters who do die, they have, in, you know, very few of them die in a way where, you're, where they're just kind of like killed and they fall off screen. Like all of them die in like, you know, either horrific ways or really poignant ways or ways that are really interesting to the story. And even the ones who, like, die in horrific ways, like, at the end, when it comes to, like, the tree with, like, the skulls and the heads, like, in, in the roots, like, they're, they're not forgotten about. You know, the look of horror on Volvovi's face and, like, anger when he sees the heads of his friends who were killed kind of almost in the dark. Like, you didn't even fully see how they died, just that their heads were stolen. Like, he sees them again, and they're important to the story again, you know. 
learning how to die well is definitely, you know, is probably the hardest lesson you'll ever have as a player. So, uh, yeah. death should yeah. be noted. Yeah, having a good example of that is important. Yes. <laughs> I, I think that's another D&D or RPG sort of tactic that's a good thing to sort of pull out is showing how dangerous the bad guys are by killing NPCs. I mean, it's it's been done a million times before, but the reason why is because it works. You know, we, you don't want necessarily to kill our main characters early in the campaign, earlier in the game, if it's a single session one shot, but you got to establish that this is a dangerous world. And so you have someone close to the character who perishes in their stead to show, you know, like... Get, Ripping someone's head off is the equivalent of like one-shotting them. All right, I rolled. didn't even get a 20. I just got a 14, and I just did enough hit point damage to kill this person who's the same level as you are. Just so you know, I'm, I'm, as a DM, I'm telling you, you can die in this game. And I think that's a very classic thing that has been done, again, a million times before, but it works, and that's why it'll continue to be done. And if, you know, if you're a newer DM and you hadn't thought of that, consider it. You know? And that's why if you can get people to care about your NPCs, you can put them in danger, and that gives motivation for your characters. Uh, I think, personally, I think D&D is actually a great uh, system to represent this type of game, because to me, this is heroic action um, fantasy. Like, you swim through an underground river that somehow has enough light for you to see, which doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Uh, you know, again, you're, you're fighting people who can rip heads off. Uh, it it didn't feel to me like a, a tactical war game, uh, you know, four hit point heroes. This this felt to me like heroic, but it also felt like maybe the end of a campaign where people went into it knowing their characters might die. And it was just part of like, let's tell a cool story. I'm okay if my character dies as long as it's awesome sort of thing. Uh, what about you, Khaldun? Do you think there's another system or you can tag on D&D as well that, that would help tell the story well if you wanted to recreate it? Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, with, like, Zweihander, I think, could do this very well. I mean, um, I, I think that, you know, it's 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 gritty enough and uh, focuses on combat enough while still being pretty uh, story-focused, uh, especially since there are not a lot of fantasy. Since the fantasy, there are, you know, in a sense, there are fantasy elements in the 13th Warrior, even though they kind of go out of their way to basically be like, not really, you know, like, they wink at you and basically mm. show you what it really sure. is. When when I if I was to translate into this game into a game, I would definitely put some fantasy elements in, because um, uh, it, it just speak it would speak to me. Um, so yeah, I would say Zweihander and even um, you know Blades in the Dark in a sense would probably work out for this uh, just system wise. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, the, you know, there's a base of operations and they're doing things. I mean, you'd have to break the setting a bit, but I think the base system could work out, um, and also. The characters in this, like, they're all, you know, heroic fighter archetypes, but they're all also very roguey. Like, all of them are very, you know, roguey in a sense. They're, none of them are wearing plate mail, uh, even the ones who are using the two-handed swords. Like, they're all, you know, moving and have a lot of action. and They're they're thinking fighters. Great. Uh, you said you're playing a D&D 5e Viking campaign right now, so that's probably I something. I am. Uh, but beyond 5 well, if you want to talk about specifically like what you're doing a little bit, that'd be fine, but is there any other systems you also think might do it well? Uh, let's start with other systems. I think Iron Sworn would work really well, which is a game that you could play either just alone, no DM or co-op um, with other people, and I think it would. it's pretty grounded but it's also pretty abstract 
which allows for things like when a whole horde of these barbarians are coming down at you where you wouldn't instantly die, you can abstract that a little bit and make yourself heroic um, and not be instantly well trampled to death by horses is one thing that can happen. <laughs> it's, um, so Iron Sworn I like for this. Um, I've played some Iron Sworn games that are fairly similar. Like I said, this movie apparently influenced a lot of my gaming style without me realizing it. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, uh, I'm also playing D&D uh, Viking uh, setting where they are community builders um, going out. It's more quest-based, obviously, because it's D&D. You go on quests, uh, sub-side quests, and things like that, rather than... But like Michael said, it's this is more towards the end, where people are expected to die, maybe, or willing to have their characters die in a glorious or notable fashion. Mm-hmm. Like Khaldun said, it's maybe their death isn't glorious, but it's certainly notable. And meaningful. I mean, like, and they... Meaningful, yeah, yeah, meaningful. They didn't just, like, get shot in the knee at 50 yards from a goblin and fall off their horse and then into a ravine. You know, they were putting themselves on the front line to protect innocent people. Exactly. And even though there are only 13 of them against hundreds? Yeah. Maybe thousands? Yeah, maybe (laughs) thousands. So, so I guess let me ask this. This is it. Made me think of a game that. Um, so I'll get. I'll, I'll give you an antidote. My apologies. I know everyone hates this, but I was playing in a campaign once, and we were traveling to this like Arctic wasteland sort of thing, and we knew that we were being followed. Like we could tell. Like we saw like the glint of a spyglass, whatever. We were you know making, we were traveling for weeks, so we knew that somebody was following us. One of our characters was this really tough barbarian. They were definitely the tank of the group. And we thought, well, whoever's following us, probably our tank could take them out. So we devised a plan where every night we would go into a camp, into a tent, and we'd sleep in the tent, and then we'd pack up the next day. So one night, we dug a hole under the tent, and we buried our barbarian underneath the <laughs> snow and ice and covered them back up. I think they had like a ring of whatever. So they did, the frost wouldn't bother them, right? And then we packed up the next day, and I used Mage Hand or some other similar spell to like hold a stick with the barbarian's cloak. So from a distance, it looked like the same number of people were walking away. And then that night, whoever was following us went to our campsite and then barbarian jumped out and attacked them and got killed really quickly. Uh, so for <laughs> years, we, we would make a joke whenever we were about to do something really dumb. I'm like, I have a plan. Let's bury the barbarian in the snow. So, what do you think about from from a game perspective, not a movie perspective, a game perspective of their plan where they put themselves in the we'll let them ambush us and then get the upper hand? Like, how do you think that came about at the table? You got any thoughts on that, Calhoun? Wait, what, what part were they ambushed when they ambushed them? So yeah, so they basically went and got in like a like a small hut, and they remember they were pretending like they were asleep, hoping oh, that yeah, the barbarians yeah, yeah. would attack yes. them. So they basically like put themselves in the ambush spot to get ambushed to spring their own ambush on the ambushers. Yeah. Which again, that's where that's when the head got ripped off. It didn't work out well. Well, you know what? Actually, that's kind of interesting because yeah, I, I actually know exactly how that. Well, not exactly, but I have an idea of how that would have happened, which is um, it was part of what they were supposed to do. You know, like sometimes players come into the situation and it reminds them of something, whether it's a book or a movie or something like that, 
and they and they're like, well, this is the way we're supposed to do it, you know. So in the story Beowulf, that's what Beowulf and his companions do in the old English story. They they fought, they pretend to be asleep in the mead hall so that Grendel, when Grendel barges in, uh, they are you know they can surprise him because Grendel always barges in to kill the people sleeping in the mead hall. So this adventurer is like, oh my, you know, well this is a haunted house. So this is what you do to make the ghost come out. So the adventurer's like, oh, well, let's do that. Let's all take off our armor and our, put our weapons away, fall asleep. And then the ghost will show up. And when the ghost shows up, we'll get him. You know, uh, it's like the kind of classic, um, they, didn't, they didn't think outside the box kind of situation. Nice. Yeah, I like that read a, a lot. It's, I mean, it's classic for a reason, right? It's got to work. All right, what about you, Grant? Any thoughts on, on their plan there? Maybe how you might modify it? Or, or I guess what would you do if this is your campaign you're running like, how would you feel that would have worked in your game if your players came up with that plan? How would you as a DM have handled that? Probably the same way the movie handled it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to go great. Uh, players, like like Haldun said, it's players always think that this is based on some popular fiction or something, that this is the way that it should be done. So that we're going to do it this way. And maybe as the DM, I haven't seen that piece of popular fiction they're all thinking about. <laughs> so mm-hmm. then I I will just, my plan is this. Uh, and the players did not subvert it the way that they thought they were going to. So it's probably going to end up with dead players. <laughs> maybe. I mean, you swing at the, at the moment. When you're at the table, you can make different uh you know decisions and right. change your monster dials and things like that but looking going into that i'd, I'd probably be kind of pooping bricks a little bit as the dm because you know i'm rooting for my players right. and i don't want them to 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 do something that's going to get them all killed but right, but it would be kind of boring if they came up with this whole plan and then they didn't attack like if they, yes. you know, then it's like, well, okay, well, then we just wasted an hour coming up with this plan. So you kind of want it to work right. from a DM standpoint just to keep the story moving. So I do have a question about the end. So I end up, because obviously we were supposed to record this a week ago or so. Um, and then we had a situation where we couldn't do it. Uh, no one's fault. It just happened. So it's been a little while since I've watched it. But I was even confused at the time. So hopefully one of you can kind of fill me in. So there was somewhat of like a prophecy that said that the the beast or the the people could not be defeated until the queen was killed. Like once you killed the queen, you you know you you killed the queen them. and their leader. Okay, so I so I missed that. So they because they went in and they they end up killing the queen, but that's when the poor man Dolph Lundgren got poisoned. But then that didn't win the fight. We still had this final thing. So I kind of read that as the there was like an hour left, and the DM didn't think that they would do that. <laughs> And they're like, well, we killed the queen, and then we just <laughs> ran away. And the DM's like, but, uh, okay, they attacked the village one more time. Like, I, that's how I read that. But I must have missed the queen and the leader. I just thought they had to kill the queen. So, uh, um, so uh, I guess just so again, one last time, open thoughts. Anything else about the movie and or the RPG angle you just want to touch on? A favorite moment, a favorite line, any sort of thing else? I mean, we can do three more wrap-ups if you have plenty. But um, <laughs> any anything else you'd like to talk about, Khaldun? Yeah, no, I think this movie has a lot to inform a DM or a player. Like, there's some cool character concepts, uh, you know, all over the movie. Um, you know, right from right from the start, right from his background and the kind of palatial setting he's in to the barbaric, you know, or, you know, I won't say barbaric, but to the kind of more, like, wilderness or primordial setting he goes into. Like, you know, fish-out-of-water stories are, you know, always a favorite for, you know, a reason. 
because it, it lets you explain, you know, the, where the environment you're in without, you know, sounding like an idiot, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know is good for the can be good for the audience, and you know, as a player, uh, allows you to you know portray growth. Um, so I feel like there's you know lots of stuff in there, and also because the because it's I guess something like historical fiction I guess is this genre in a sense. It's like a it's a, it's a fictionalized version that tries to be grounded in history, um, and it tries to root all the fantastical elements in real life. Um, it, I feel there's a lot of interesting stuff there too that a DM could play with, because uh, a lot of fun with players is, you know, subverting their expectations, uh, which can be, you know, making them think something fantastical is actually mundane and making them think something mundane is actually fantastical. Like that, that switcheroo can be very interesting where, you know, the, um, right, where the, the, the king is acting strange because, you know, um, you know, there's something going on with him personally, but making the players think he's like a changeling or a mimic, you know, that, that's fun, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then, you know, finding out that secret or that mystery. And in this movie, that, that happens, you know, regularly. Um, though the players, though the players, the, you know, heroes figure out, figure out that stuff pretty quickly. Um, and they, they work it into their worldview, you know? Like, you're not allowed to say the name of the, the bad guys. Uh, like, you can't even speak their name, you know? It's, it's you know, and, and why is that? And it's like, and they like eat corpses and stuff. Like they're just like um, really gross. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, yeah, and um, and the roots of all that sound very interesting. I mean, it's pretty clear that there's you know deeper stuff happening uh, that you could really dig into. But from a role playing perspective, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff just on the surface that you know can really inform the game. Just just like just with the characters themselves. So I, I assume the answer is yes, but uh, I'll just ask, so would you recommend this as a movie that people who run games or play games should watch? Yeah, maybe not to inform, uh, like, the cultural dynamics, you know? I, I wouldn't know yeah, about fair. that. Uh, you know, I, I, have a, I have a very surface level of the Viking, of, of, you know, what Viking stuff really likes, quote-unquote. Uh, I have a deeper idea of, like, what, you know, um, Arabic-Islamic culture is like. So maybe not to inform, like, a cultural setting but definitely to get a you know a vibe and character ideas for sure and even a plot idea and that even a game that's like you know quote unquote basic like a simple game like you know there are bad guys coming mm-hmm. and you have to protect the village can you know can have a lot of depth because you know a lot of the fun of the story is how the characters interact with each other like when he like learns the the viking tongue you know the first sentence he can hear clearly is a joke about his mom and how he responds to that mom joke, you know, is almost like a running, comes almost like a running gag and like how they call his dog a horse and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, how the characters interact with each other and the depth that brings um, and the internal challenges they have to, you know, to conquer. Uh, you know, I think, you know, any, any DM who can incorporate that is going to add a lot to their game. It, you know, I mean, killing the dragon is always fun, but, you know, how, how you get to that point, you know, you know. Maybe the maybe the killing the dragon was maybe the friends we made along the way, <laughs> <laughs> and the friends we lost along the way. Well, you'll get them back uh, after you cut the dragon. <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I do think. Um, actually, I, I think that would be a fun sort of uh, twist to put on a game where you have like a lower level party, and you're like, "This is a dragon hunting game," and you know, it, 
people who know enough to know, well, we shouldn't be fighting dragons, but, well, you are. And then that's kind of the twist is it's not really an actual dragon. It's just this thing. Um, so a, a couple things that I pulled out from a, from a game standpoint. Um, surprise, surprise to anyone listening. Uh, session zero. Everyone take a drink. Because I feel like, well, well I guess I'll, the other one first is that I think this game would work taking this movie as a game because you have several Viking characters and then you have the one fish out of water. If we had four fish out of water or if everyone was from a different pond and you had a completely eclectic party, I think that would be harder to ground in a realistic sort of way. You know, if you had a Viking and a samurai and a werewolf and the bard, then it's a little bit harder to get your mind wrapped around the world. I'm sure there are books that do that. People maybe smarter and better than me can make it work. But for me, I think this worked better because you just had the one character that was from the outside. But I do think the session zero was important. So just like if you have that alpha character, who's the one that doesn't really want to be there, you know, the Wolverine of the X-Men situation, I think that can work. If everyone's on board, if everyone says, okay, we understand that Sarah's character is not going to want to be there. We're going to have to constantly drag them along. But eventually Sarah's character is going to realize that we are their family and will come to want to protect us. And, and we're willing to play along with that and, and do the heavy lifting early so that her character can have that shift because it'll be a fun story moment. You know, if this was a session zero where everyone's like, okay, we're all playing Vikings. And one person's like, you know what? I kind of want to play a bard from a different culture that doesn't even speak your language. And I can imagine there might be some like groaning, like seriously, we're going to have to put up with that. And, you know, but if, if you talk about, okay, but it's going to be fun. And here's why, because I'm going to learn your language, you know, early on, I'm going to spend a proficiency and now I can speak your language. It'll become a thing. And, you know, you're going to make fun of me, but I'm constantly going to show my worth. If everyone's on board for that interaction, it can lead to some great moments at the table, but you have to be willing to say, okay, my character can be the butt of a few jokes because I'm going to set you up for your spotlight time. I'm going to insult your horse so that you get to use your riding proficiency and do a, a skill check here and make, you know, impress everyone, including the NPCs. And it absolutely works, but I think you need buy-in at the start. So once again, surprise, surprise, here at the RPG Academy, <laughs> we are saying session zeros are important to a successful long-term campaign. All right, Grant, anything else from you, sir, about, uh, again, viewing this from a, from a game master standpoint or just a role-playing game standpoint? Anything that, top of mind? I mean, it hits it hits a lot. There's, like I said, there's uh, political stuff in this game. There's a dungeon crawl at the end. People die. <laughs> Important people die. Mm. And it, whether or not it's couched in mysticism or not, it's the guy got poisoned. He died. And that's meaningful because he comes out and gets his last exciting moment where he takes out the leader and everybody's happy and he dies sitting on a throne. And it's that's how you want to die as a character. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's that is memorable from how you got sick in the first place to how you end up dead sitting on your throne with your sword. That's memorable. You want that. And if you could, if you could find that as a way to do that as a player and with the DM combined, like that's you're going to talk about that game forever. Hundred percent. That right? would be even a though you died at the end. end you're like, man, <laughs> that's. But, but your uh, story will live on. That's, that's right, <laughs> forever and ever. You're going to talk about it thirty years later in a different campaign. <laughs> 
But, uh, no, I, in fact, I think I want to change my, my star rating for this movie because as we're talking about it, I'm, I'm a lot higher on it. I'll, I'll be honest, when I watched this movie a couple days ago, uh, it was the first movie I've watched in like a year because we've been watching nothing but streaming long-form content, and I forgot what it's like to watch a 100-minute runtime movie. Mm. It is snappy, and you do not linger. <laughs> yeah. I believe, so do you want Do you want to officially change the rating? I'll, I'll I make will sure change that... it to four stars, yes. Four stars. Uh, so, again, I, I, would you re- recommend this movie? Is this something people should watch for, from the I think so. being uh, a game master or a role player? I think both, and uh, from... Again, as we've all said, not necessarily from a cultural lens. Uh, I'm running a Viking game, and I've done a lot of research in Viking stuff, and it is pretty wrong as far as like weird anachronistic armor choices and and things like that. They got mostly the camaraderie and stuff like that right, but I couldn't stop watching uh, their armor and be like, mm. that's not what Vikings wore. <laughs> My players want accurate stuff. <laughs> right. So I will say the head ripping off did not bother me nearly as much as the communal hand washing snot blowing. So the spit bowl. The spit the spit yeah. that I gagged. I was like, ugh, ugh. You know, I'm dry heaving <laughs> over here watching that. Oh, it's so gross. But uh, otherwise, yeah, I would I would recommend it and recommend the book and the book it's based off of, which is Beowulf. I mean, you can't you can't you can't do you know you could do a lot worse than Beowulf if you're writing a D and D campaign. Fair enough. I didn't state it clearly, so I will hear. You. I would recommend this as well. I, I much more enjoyed it than I thought I would. I, I really liked it. I think it's a lot of cool stuff from a game standpoint. Uh, I do want to quickly talk about the ending, and then we'll go around one more time for any final final thoughts. Were we supposed to believe that he was going to go back to his homeland and maybe fight for his love? Because they never say that, but I kind of got the impression that he too was changed by the journey. And that he was going to kind of go out of his self-imposed, or maybe not self-imposed, his exile. And I feel like there's a there's a sequel to this where he like leads a revolution against the sultan, or I don't even know if it was, it was some person of power was the one who had him exiled. Did I read into that completely, just being like the game master, or or was that implied to anyone else? Oh man, I I like that reading. <laughs> it makes a lot more sense than what I think actually happens. <laughs> Which is where he's just like, uh, I was supposed to be an ambassador, I assume, for life. And he's like, no, I'm going back. For reasons? For reasons. <laughs> for reasons. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that read, too. But yeah, I don't know if that's what we were supposed to to see, because he wasn't supposed to go off with those Vikings. Like, I mean, they, like, they're <laughs> right. like, you're the 13th warrior, you're coming with us. It's like, what? You, I, I don't want to go with you. <laughs> Is like, I mean, I mean, he was changed in some ways. Like they, they told him about Mead, so he was very, sure. very happy to learn that Mead was, you know, technically not illegal to, you know, uh, forbidden for him to drink, like on a very slim technicality. Um, right. So, you know, he went with that um, uh, and had like one sip of Mead. Uh, so yeah, I feel that he was like, you know, you know, definitely he was changed. Um, in a lot of ways, and he appreciated, you know, what they brought to the table. Um, 
which definitely is not how he entered the situation. But yeah, I did, I did, I, I didn't know what his next part of his story was, other than you know he's basically destined to write their story. Um, mm-hmm. He's the vehicle by which you know they live forever in a sense. Uh, and and Bullvi right one of the last things Bullvi says uh, before like the final battle and his death basically is that you know he's poor and he has nothing to his name, uh, but that he would you know he would consider himself king uh, like rich or like a wealthy man if his story lived forever. Mm-hmm. Which was very, a very poignant thing to say, and you know, basically, kind of um, pointing to the importance to the to the thirteenth warriors, yeah, part part to play, uh, you know, after after all is said and done. I would, I would very much agree. I think there's a there's a fine line there from a game master standpoint too about role playing versus storytelling, and this is something I've become very interested in because of the game I'm designing has very much a heavy heavy element of that where I think you can sometimes have even more impactful scenes with good storytelling from the player standpoint than an immersive role play. Cause a lot of the more poignant scenes in this wasn't, it was like one person saying something or again, like we see as a bull where sitting on that throne as he dies. And, you know, I, that didn't feel like a role play scene to me. That felt like a cool story moment that the player set up for themselves. And I definitely something I appreciate. I don't know. I had the vocabulary to express that before um i just i I guess here i want to express it's important if if your table you may have people who are really good at role-playing and they shine at that but someone else who maybe is just as good of a storyteller can contribute to the overall success of your game even if they're not necessarily dropping into an accent or expounding in you know in vocally in character but if they're just saying this is what my character is doing this is how they feel you know and they can just say you know, I don't react well to that. I, I look like I'm upset and hurt. I'm going to turn away yes. rather than actually trying to act out as if they are upset and hurt. You know, it's it's a medium. It's in our shared collective mind. And as long as you can make me know what you're trying to get across, whether you, you show it or tell it, I think it can still kind of work. So uh, I guess that would be my final parting word of wisdom is that storytelling and role playing are married and can be married in these types of games. And both can, you know, it's like a partnership. Sometimes a little this, a little, little that. Sometimes it can go back and forth. Uh, but don't don't feel like you as a player are not contributing if you're not the most boisterous role player. But if you're a good storyteller, you're worth your weight in gold too. All right. So Grant, final, final thoughts. Yeah, I can't say it much better than that. I always allow my, I try to always allow my players that are, that are maybe a little more shy to be able to just narrate what their characters are doing. And I get a lot, we get, as a table, we get a lot out of that. So you, like you said, you don't have to be the most boisterous role player if you can tell a story. So I, I can't, I can't really say it better than that. So. Okay. All right. Well, well, thank you. Uh, Caldoon, any, any final, final thoughts? No, no, I, I really appreciate that. And yeah, I think you're, you're spot on about the storyteller versus role play. And, and, and part of the, how that movie, how this movie illustrates that is also the, you know, these are Vikings and a kind of a classic trope. They're not very verbose people. And that's one of the, that's one of the contrasting points between the, uh, you know, Arabic Islamic character and the Viking characters. Mm. He really expresses himself through words while they, they do not. Uh, and they have to, they have to convey a lot through, you know, the way they act and the way they look. Um, and you know, uh, it can be very powerful. And I, I feel that, you know, the way that's conveyed in RPG where you describe, you know, what's happening, you storytell, as you say, uh, is also very powerful. Shouldn't be discounted. Like, you know, RPGs combine some acting skill, but that's not, you know, that 
that shouldn't be seen as, you know, the end-all be-all of role-playing. All right. Well, again, thank you both so much for joining me tonight. I had a wonderful time with this conversation. I really enjoyed revisiting this movie. Again, it was, it was better than I had anticipated going in, and I got a lot from it. As a reminder, you can always find me on Twitter at the RPG Academy and all of our various shows that come out on your podcast or under this particular feed. Uh, and please consider supporting us on Patreon. If you haven't done that before, uh, every, every little bit helps and keeps us going and growing and doing bigger and better and different things. If you have a movie that you would like to see us tackle in, in, you know, in this format, uh, please let us know. So hit me up on Twitter, send us an email, re- you know, reply to the comment section on this episode when it's posted and, and suggest some movies that we could take a look at. I believe my next two, because Caleb normally handles these. He's pretty much the film studies person. I just have every now and then I have a movie. I'm just like, I want to do this one. Uh, so the two that I'm looking at next are the um, Three Musketeers, the one that came out in the 90s with Chris O'Donnell as D'Artagnan, <laughs> and um, Big Trouble in Little China. Those are, my dog's barking. Those are two movies that I want to revisit again. So, uh, Khaldun, one more time, where can people find you and your work on the internet if they want to interact with you, chat with you, support you and your work? Where can they go? Uh, well, yeah, for RPGs, you can find me on Twitter, um, at KKhalil. That's K-K-H-E-L-I-L. Uh, that's where I talk about, you know, role-playing games mostly and, you know, sometimes geopolitics because of day job stuff. And, you know, uh, my books are at your friendly local gaming store, um, you know, wherever Renegade, Modifius, and other indie publishers are, are sold. Yeah. All right. Well, fantastic. And Grant, what about you? If people want to chat with you on the internet about your uh, movie opinions uh, and or maybe support you, where can they go? People uh, can find me at Twitter. Hit me up at Twitter at the underscore Foxblade. And again, I'm the DMs Guild correspondent for the RPG Academy. So if you have any products that you think we should know about, hit me up and I will be glad to take a look. All right, fantastic. So normally this is where I would plug the next movie that we're doing, but I don't actually know what it is yet because uh, Caleb, I think, has three of these that he's already recorded and editing. But you'll hear a new one after this one in about a month. But I don't know when this one's releasing either. So, hey, who knows? Uh, but sometime in the near future, there'll be more film studies. So thank you, everybody, for, for watching or for listening and participating. Uh, and we have to sign off as we always do because Tom will yell at me if I don't say it. Remember, if you're having fun... You're doing it right. You're doing it right. Thanks. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly... 
that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. Music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license.